This is my comeback story. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. So good to be here with my dad today. Dad, welcome to Atlanta. Thank you. We are getting ready to tell our story, and as I think about who will be listening, parents who are concerned about their children, spouses concerned, so many that are on the front end of this journey. And the the reason that we tell this story is not because we're proud of it. We're certainly not proud of it. So often I wish that I had a different story, but it is our story. And God has done a great work in our family's life. And I feel like I tell it all the time. And I wanted you guys to be able to hear it from my dad's perspective. But before we get into that, my dad just retired from agricultural work. How many years did you do that for? 60. 60 years. Yes. Ran his own business. Started when you were? Started in 10th grade in high school. 10th grade. Yeah, and just retired this year. So it's about 60, 61 years. Probably time to retire. Probably should have done it three or four years ago. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad to retire. Glad to be here at Good Landing. Be here to tell a story of of Trey's uh, comeback story, so to speak, from the time he was born all the way up. We're not going to be here two hours talking about the whole thing, but highlight some of the areas that that we went through on this uh, journey from darkness into lightness, so to speak. It was just... One of these things that, you know, you you dread to go through. It was awful what me and his uh, stepmother had to go through from the time he was 15 over when he got his driver's license. But going back a little bit before that, when Trey was born, you know, was married to his mother and she was uh, a very bad manic depressive, probably on a scale of one to 10, probably she was a nine or a 10. Trey was born, didn't know that this was coming. I thought she was having postpartum depression or something, but all during those years, uh, she had a lot of problems with her manic. And I didn't know when I came home from work, whether she'd be on the couch, just staring or crawling the walls or whatever. And I was concerned about Trey and he was just, you know, one, two, three years old at that time. My mother was helping out so much during this time and she was taking care of him when his mother was in the hospital when Trey's mother was in the hospital in Memphis trying to get back stable with her depression when she was taking lithium and she had had to go in the hospital for several weeks to get it back level again to where she could come back and be normal in society again uh, that's the only bad thing about manic depressive. They always think that they're right and everybody else is wrong, but it's just the opposite. And it's an awful disease. And we had to go through this for, for five years until we parted ways. And uh, my mother helped raise Trey. I think he adored my my mother, his grandmother, more than probably any woman he knew coming up. Yeah, that was some rough days coming up. Trey was really was a good student. In, in elementary school and then in junior high school, all that. He was on the honor roll, just doing great in school. Just You just couldn't ask for a better student. But things got a little bit different when he uh, got his driver's license. Everything started going south then. He started uh, staying away from home more and more. That uh, I just thought he was out with friends, but... And now that we know, he was out with the wrong kind of friends, and he was starting to drink a lot. You know, meddling, a few drugs, a few pills, things like that, and it was just starting to get really out of hand. But anyway, that was the first part of, say, 
his 15 years here on earth. During those years, whenever, you know, you're talking about me being a good student, as far as, like, what kind of kid? I mean, was I, you know, how, any any kind of signs of? No, the not, I could never see any signs. I never saw anything from it. Everything was great. I mean, we were playing basketball, and he was on the basketball team playing tennis and uh, playing, you know, number two singles on the, on the, on the Lee Academy tennis team. And we were traveling and having a great time and it just, everything was going perfect, you know, just about until when Trey kind of got his driver's license, started kind of going out on his own and uh, dating and going out with friends. It got to where he was just staying away too far. And I did not know, you know, what was going on. I didn't know about the little, the drinking, the beer drinking or what all was happening or maybe even fooling with, uh, a few pills or drugs or something like that. And it all just started coming together. We just started seeing signs of him coming in and, and, and maybe smelling beer on his breath or intoxicated or, or just not acting right. And it just seemed like it started getting, it just boomeranged. It just started getting worse and worse and worse. And it was hard to, to stop it. You know, we would punish him and take his Jeep away from him for a couple of weeks or something like that. It always go back when he got back. You know, and, and and going out again, the same things was keep on going on and on. We just had a hard time realizing and seeing, you know, this change. So in what, him. It what started? So again, like, so a, as a parent, what are you thinking? I mean, was it embarrassment or frustration? And you're trying to get through. You're trying to give some consequences of thinking, okay, we're going to get his attention, and then only to see me mm-hmm. just keep. Right. Just keep going on. Just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Like I said, when we would, you know, time out, <laughs> punishment, whatever you want to call it, you know, and, and punish him for these things that uh, when he would get back and going back out again, it, it's the same things are going over and over again. And I did not see this real tremendous power of addiction that was really taking over him that was starting there in those high school days. And it just kept getting worse and worse until I was even concerned about him graduating from high school. And then, you know, things, his grades started getting worse. You know, the friends he was going with and going to parties and stuff like that and staying out all night, you know, we'd be asleep. And it was just, you know, the same thing that parents go through a lot when kids are coming up through high school and everything, but you didn't think it was just part of growing up, so to speak. And we didn't think it was going to get this out of hand or this bad until it did. And it got real bad, you know, out of control. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously illicit drug use had started at that point and then graduate high school, you're watching all this the weight loss, the, you know, at what point, I mean, I think most parents go into a period of denial of just not wanting it to happen, of thinking, hey, my kid's going to pull out of this. Well, we kept praying that this was just a part-time thing, that this was just a partial thing, a thing he's going through life. And as all parents do, I think, they always hope and pray that their son or daughter will get out of this craziness that's going on, coming in, you know, at all times of night and staying out with people and, and doing all these, you know, these crazy things. And, uh, but it just kept accelerating with Trey. It just kept getting worse and worse. And I don't even remember when he started on methamphetamines or anything like that. And then it got to be IV and all this. And it just, you know, where you'd be up for three days at a time. And then it just absolutely boomerang and that's when all the rehabs started i think the first one was in tupelo trade that 
we took you to, yeah. I believe. Uh, Harbor House. Yeah, at Harbor House in Tupelo over there. And uh, I, I talked to Fran, my wife, a lot about it. When we came back that first time, and it seemed like we cried all the way back from Tupelo, about a two-hour drive from, from where we live. And it was just, uh, it was real sad, you know. And we were, we were really down and out that he had to get to this point to where that he had to go to a rehabilitation center. And then... And more came, and then when he got out, he would relapse, and then it would be another one he would go through. And then the more he went through, my wife and I were just kind of talking about it one day that, you know, we were happy now that he was in a rehabilitation center because we knew he was protected, and he went out using and drinking and drugging, and it got to where it was joyful instead of sad, if you can understand what I'm talking about. It's just one of those things that you you hate happen to your son or your daughter but then you know when they are in rehab they are safe and they're in a structural type of situation and now they are you know they're protected and you kind of feel a relief that they're not at home or going out and partying and stuff like they're doing right there so that's one of the things that we had to go through it was just one rehab after another and i think it got to be where it was up to about 10 right yeah, what, what was that like? I mean, you know, I think you're you're hopeful. Okay, like I'm going to take my kid to rehab and they're going to get fixed. And then after the second, after the third, after the fourth, I mean, is there a part in there where you're just getting hopeless and just thinking, you know, is this is this how it's going to be? Is he not going to make it? I mean, well, in a way it was, in a way it wasn't because my wife and I are good Christian people and believers and, and go to church. And we just kept believing that God would intervene soon and, you know, would, would save Trey every time he got out of a rehab and he would relapse. We were worried and concerned that, you know, that something was going to happen to him. He was going to wind up in the state penitentiary down there at Parchment for using and, and, and pushing drugs or, he was going to be worse than that. He's going to be in a car wreck or something's going to happen or somebody's going to shoot him or he's going to die. And that's what we were concerned and that's what we were praying that, that this would happen, that, that, that God would intervene. Uh, Trey would finally see the light that this can't keep going on and on forever, that sooner or later something was going to have to give. But it was a long, long process <laughs> before it happened. I think what's neat too is, you know, as a lot of parents would, will listen to this and, and think, you know, what, what do I need to do? You know, you, you know, textbook, you hope that one day your kid's going to show up and say, all right, I'm sick of this. I'm ready to go to rehab. I know for me, I never wanted to go to rehab. I never came to you and said, hey, I'm ready to get some help. I mean, it was always you had to figure it out and then come in mm. and shut it down. And, and honestly, probably the only reason that I'm here today on this podcast is because y'all would always pull the rug out from under me, use the the laws in, in, in the state of Mississippi to force me into treatment. I mean, I remember one time in Cleveland, mm-hmm. <laughs> can tell that story. Yeah, he was down at uh, Delta State on the tennis team down there in college. And I thought maybe, you know, he would straighten his act out down there. And uh, they even gave a pair of shoes and a tennis rack and everything. He was on, on, a, on a little partial scholarship, so to speak. That's when really things really got out of hand. He was living with a friend of his down there in the apartment. They were uh, making and selling it, and he was putting thousands of miles on his car all every week, going around and pushing drugs and everything. And it got to where 
that somebody, one of the, the police officers had heard about it, and he told my wife that he said, you need to get your husband to get his son out of Cleveland immediately, or he's going to be arrested, and he's going to go to jail for a long, long time. And he said, you've got to intervene as, as, as quick as possible. And we did. And uh, I got my brother, Bill, and I went down there, uh, got Trey out of the apartment and, and got him back home and, uh, and got him away from the things that right there at first. I can't remember if, we, uh, if you had to go to jail for a few days over there. I did, that. yes. <laughs> I think you were, but it, didn't, it wasn't long. I, mean, I remember that. that long. Because they took me to Bolivar County Jail, and then they transported me that night. A tornado came through and ripped the roof off the place that night. Mm-hmm. Then I was in Coahoma County. You left me in there for a week, and I was coming up in an isolation cell because it was a mental health hold. So I'm making up every lie. I'm trying to tell my dad that they're trying to rape me and all <laughs> kinds of stuff mm-hmm. so that he would get me out and he didn't budge mm-hmm. knowing that I was in there by myself. And, uh, and then from there, you know, at that point, because I left, you guys had put me at Fairland, and I guess I, I, I left Fairland. Or they kicked me out of Fairland. That's what it was. They kicked mm-hmm. me out of Fairland because I would – I snuck drugs into the program so they put me out on the street that night at like midnight mm. um and then i would go from they would take me to jail they, they found me back in cleveland took me to jail and then transported me to the state hospital to like building 83 or 85 or whatever it was and just to kind of give you guys a picture of this place i mean this is you had luke woodham i believe was his name if i'm saying that correctly that hit um was one of the first school shootings was probably a few hundred yards from where where I was in that in that rehab on there and it was just like you said earlier I mean it was looked like it was worse than parchment it was awful it was a what called Whitfield just state mental place where a lot of the criminally insane were taken to down there and it was an awful place my wife went down there one time. She said, I really don't want to come back down here and visit Trey anymore. I said, it is that bad. She said, it was just awful. The brick buildings down there. It was old. People walking around like in a trance down there. It was just, I just can't tell you how bad the situation was down there. And the conditions were awful. Finally, he got out of there and came home. But uh, we thought if any place you know, in the country would be a place that he would wake up and realize that he couldn't keep doing what he was doing, that this would open his eyes down there because the conditions were so bad and awful. I hated for him to be there, but we thought anything. We were desperate. We were at a point that where we wanted him to uh, realize something that, that, that would shock him so bad that he would put the drugs down and leave him alone. And to, you know, our amazement, though, that uh, the power of addiction to methamphetamines and things like that was so strong that there was no way for, uh, for him to quit. And, of course, he relapsed again, and they went on into some more rehab. So Again and again and again, mm-hmm. and eventually went to the Air Force, mm-hmm. and that, that's where everything changed. It did. Finally, uh, you were up at, what's the place up in Memphis right there that you were? You were in Teen Challenge. And uh, Trey was in there, and I got him all fixed up and brought his suitcases and got him lined up for a long stand at Teen Challenge in Memphis. And uh, 
I wrote him a check for $900, and the next morning he packed his bags and headed for the bus station. <laughs> he was gone again. So I made my Did contribution. Did you get a refund? To, no refunds. <laughs> no refunds. Made my, made my contribution there to Teen Challenge. Uh, I've seen him a lot since then trying to sell crosses and everything like that at Walmart, and I'd always tell them, I said, I've already made my contribution to Teen Challenge. I'm not no more. I'm not buying anymore. But uh, it was just fun. <laughs> but it really did happen that way, and uh, Trey got to uh, the bus station, and would you come home and get your car and go to uh, California? I packed it up and, and went to California. Yeah, 23 hours, straight drive, all the way uh, to where he was going to yeah. Santa Maria. And, I remember stopping in and, Vegas and mm, wasting all my money, getting you to mm, Western Union, meeting some, so that I could <laughs> make it all the way to California. So I, I, I'll back up. I realized that we got the timeline wrong. So that was after I'd been clean for five years that the teen challenge event happened. I would go back to California and be in a relapse for a couple of years or be in active addiction for a couple of years. But, um, so I'd finished Fairland, joined the air force and then went to California and I got saved in July of 2005 and had a radical encounter with the Lord, and then that was really where where everything changed for me. Right. Going to California and getting the Air Force finally was some structure for him, and uh, I thought everything was going to be great, and he would be off drugs forever and go to the Air Force for four years or so and and be okay. But much to my chagrin, when he was down there, the first whatever he was there, he got a DUI. And I said, oh, my goodness. I said, now he's going to be discharged from the Air Force with a dishonorable discharge. And I, and I said, this is not good at all. He met a sergeant, I believe, down there that really kind of took up with Trey and uh, told him, he said, there could be a way out of you being able to stay in the Air Force and not be uh, kicked out for your DUI if you just follow my instructions and do this. And this guy was really a good Christian sergeant down there that took over Trey, started going to Bible studies, and um, they had these little people's houses they'd go to in the garage and everything, and there'd be 15, 20 guys over there, and, and they'd all be praying and, and having just real good testimonies and, and reading Scripture. And it was a, it was, it was a great time right there with Trey. In fact, one of the things he had to do was he had to do a, a reenactment of his DUI charge there and showed police coming to pick him up and what can happen when you're in the Air Force or somewhere, uh, you get caught drinking or drugging. And they arrested him and, and cuffed him and took him back to jail and showed him inside the jail cell. And this was all a reenactment of what he had done that night that he got caught. And they used this as a training video for other recruits there to to tell them you know what can happen to you when you get in trouble with the law like it, it was really really good but it was so uh, it's it really was, interesting about that too is that they did a story and like you said the documentary mm -hmm. and they were getting ready to push it out air force wide to several mm -hmm. hundred thousand people and it ended up going right. to the secretary of the air force public affairs office which i believe was in new york at the time mm -hmm. and the office was split because they felt like it had too much Jesus in it and eventually mm. um, decided to not send it out. But I think they used it at Vandenberg just there at that base for a while and cut it up. But uh, 
Yeah, that was that was interesting. I mean, there was Master Sergeant Howell, the first sergeant who uh, would eventually become a chief, and there was the command chief master sergeant there at the time too that really believed in me. And that that was a huge part of you know him just recognizing leadership, knowing that I had failed, that I was the one that got the DUI. And a lot of people might be hearing this and thinking, what's the big deal about a DUI? And it's just a really big deal in the military now. And they frown upon it, and they spend so much effort and time and energy to make sure that they don't happen on base so that whenever you do get one, I mean, I remember having to get up and give a public apology, and it's normally the end of somebody's military career whenever they they get a DUI. But uh, God stepped in and did what only he can do and transform my life and put favor on my life. And it, it was a, uh, just a, a profound, incredible time of change. And then I remember my dad coming out there, let you tell that part. Well, that's, you know, kind of part of my testimony too. I won't go into it a long time because we're talking about trade tonight, but, uh, he had gotten saved. Like you said, in July of 05, I was, Going through some things in my town. Uh, by going to church, I was getting all emotional. Something was happening. Needless to know that the Holy Spirit was talking to me, and he was convicting me. And I was under conviction there for about three or four weeks. And then Trey called me and said, Dad, you got to come out here and see this. He said, I'm going to all these uh, Bible studies and uh, praying and reading Scripture and talking about the Lord. And he said, this is just a... A, a great time in my life, and I want you to come out here and be a part of it and see what's going on. And I did. And I went out there, and uh, I told Trey what had been happening to me back in Clarksdale, and uh, I knew that I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and that he was working in my life. I thought I'd been saved all these years. I walked the aisle in, in a little town called Sardis, Mississippi, when I was seven years old, and I thought I was saved, and I was just pleasing my parents and my pastor. This went on until I was 60 years old. When Trey got saved, I remember when I came out there and I got back and I went to my pastor's study in December the 4th and I told him that all these years I thought I'd been saved, but I wasn't, and that I wanted to really give my life to the Lord and get baptized. And then Trey had already given his life to the Lord. And on January the 1st, which was on a Sunday in 2006, Trey and I both were baptized in the same baptismal with our pastor, Ed Lawrence, there at Clarksdale Baptist Church. And that was the beginning of the of a new era in both of our lives. Yeah. And I, and I think it was such a testimony to how God can change a relationship between a father and a son, because I know before that, I would get so frustrated because I could, my friends could come over and they could have this incredible conversation with my dad. And it seems like even things that you and I agreed on, like Mississippi State football, <laughs> that we would somehow still end up in a fight over it. And obviously because of the life that I had chosen to live and, and um, you know, how difficult I was as, as a son that, you know, made obviously our relationship put a lot of strain on it. But then you would get saved and really became best friends at that it, it it seemed like I mean we were praying several times a week on the phone while I was in California. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I eventually got married. You're the best man in my wedding, mm-hmm. and and still to this day we don't talk as as much as I would I'd like just because life has gotten so busy. But mm-hmm. I mean, still pray and still have an incredible relationship. And because of the Lord changed everything and just mm-hmm. gave us gave us back what we didn't have before. So you know, as as far as 
life on the other side in ministry. I mean, I remember being able to share our story together at a lot of Bible studies and churches, and I think so many people just knew, especially from from Clarksdale, where where we're from, of just how far gone I was. And when this had happened, I feel like every time that I was home, I was, you know, we were going somewhere to share our story. We were, and uh, it was it was a great time that our father and son could finally get back together and have a normal conversation with each other without, you know, almost fighting with each other just about because of uh, we were just on two different wavelengths when he was. Uh, under the influence and and doing all these other things all those years for about 10 years right there we just uh didn't have a very good relationship at all and we couldn't converse with each other talk with each other but it all changed when we got saved and uh that's what god can do in your life he can he can change you he can make you into a different person a new person and it's just amazing what's happened in Trey's life since he's become a believer. It's just really amazing and, and what he's done here at Good Landing and what's happened in the last seven, eight years. It's just it's just God's blessings have just flowed out. It's happened so quick and so fast. But but the main thing is that we maintain a good relationship. When we call, we still have time to get together and pray. And I'm just so glad I've got to come up here and visit him for a few days. Uh, while we're here. Well, I am glad to have you here. It's good to have the record set straight and get your version of the story. And I think back to those days and just wonder what, what that had to be like as a dad and trying so hard to be able to reach your son and to find out again and again and again that I would return back to the drugs, be the talk of the town, the embarrassment I mean, I'm sure it's this way everywhere, but especially in a small town where gossiping and, and all of that is just running rampant and, and, and what that had to be like. I mean, were that, was that just difficult or is it something you just kind of desensitize to? You just get used to it? Yeah, I think it's more just of a desensitizing type of situation you're in because my wife and I are such strong believers. And especially after Trey got saved and I got saved and. Uh, when I walked the aisle down there, my wife rededicated her life, and it was just a, a great time. But uh, going through that 10 years or so of, uh, of, of rehabs and all that, we never lost hope. We never lost faith that, that God would intervene someday in his life and things would be better. And I just, you know, I'm a, just stand amazed, you know, in the presence, you know, of God that what has happened you know, in the last seven, eight years of, of Trey's life of getting married and just having his sixth kid here. And I have my grandchild here just be two weeks old Friday. It's just an amazing thing that what God can do in people's lives so fast that it's just mind boggling how he can turn you around. And he's what he did in Trey's life. It's what he did in my life. This all goes to the glory and, and power and the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. That's about it. Amen. That's what it's <laughs> all about. Really. What's your favorite verse? My favorite verse, I believe, is John 14, 6. They were talking to uh, Jesus with his disciples. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that means through the cross and what he did for us at Calvary. And he died for our sins. Praise God that he did. Because we're all, like it says in the Bible, filthy rags and just not worthy through what he did for us. It's just amazing that, that we're here now and we're talking and we're doing what we're doing 
exactly right now. I mean, it's a lot of people that their sons didn't make it, that they uh, paid the supreme sacrifice. I mean, they just died and uh, from drug overdoses and things like that. It was just really a, uh, a tough time, and a lot of our friends that we know that uh, it just went south with them and went the other way. And I just praise God every day that uh, things have turned out like they have. My, my dad's favorite verse uh, passed away about nine years ago, but uh, he was always talking about... Uh, what does it profit? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own life? And that's what it's all about. You can have all the material possessions in the world, but if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and if you're not a believer, things are not going to be too well when you pass from this world. We know there's a hell and there is a heaven. You just got to be on the right side and be a believer and know where you are and, and you will be Him with him in paradise when you leave here. So this is a, it's a good time. It's a good story. It's a, it's a story of, a, of something that happened that was really bad that turned out really good and like i said a while ago only god can t do this and turn you around to where uh, you are what you are today and you're living for him day to day and i just thank the lord so much for good landing recovery and uh for people like trey daniel and all his staff here and what they're doing they're saving a lot of lives and a lot of people not only are they being not really curative of your addiction. You're never cured of it, really. You just get into a position where you, you, you don't use it anymore. But not only that, you get, you get Jesus when you come here, too. And they have Bible studies and verses and things, and people get to know, and we hope that they give their lives to, to the Lord when they leave here, and they can live good and productive lives from then on out when they leave Good Landing. So it's been good. It has been good. I love you. Love you, too. It's been awesome. <laughs> and I'm glad, too, at the end. I mean, when, when we think about good landing recovery, I mean, we bring the, the medical, the clinical, and, and bring the very best. I mean, when creating this program, I'm looking at it not as just a machine to, to run people through, but what did God use in my own life to be able to bring about real change and to be able to restore relationships and we do our absolute best to be able to create the environment for every single person that comes through these doors. And so it's been an honor to be on this podcast with my dad and to hear from his perspective. Just care about you guys so much that are listening. If there's anything that we can do, please reach out. Love y'all. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.